So hello folks, it is uh, April the 3rd, 2022. The world is still counting time by Jesus. That's 2022 AD. So good morning. Um, Let's have a prayer and we will begin today. Dear Father, we are grateful to you for this day. Uh, It is a day you have made and you have given life, and we thank you for that. We are grateful for your word that gives us guidance, direction, tells us about your love for us and what you have done. We thank you for that. We, Father, each of us is aware of different people among our number and here and in other places that are having health issues as we think about them. We know you see our thoughts and we lift lift those folks, family members, brothers and sisters, friends, lift them up to you right now and ask your blessing according to their needs, physically, spiritually, emotionally. Ask your blessings, Father, today as we look at your word and uh, your blessings on the class to your purpose, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're in John chapter 13. And anybody having trouble hearing this morning? We're good, okay. All right, so we're starting John 13. It's Jesus' last week on earth before going back to headquarters. Um, 13 starts with now before the feast of the Passover when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, and it goes on. So he... The point I want to make there is he knew it was his time. And that's what he said, as Skip talked about last week um, in John 12, 27, uh, that he knew his hour was here. And he asked, he said, should I ask the Father that this hour would not come? He said, this is why I'm here. So he knows he's in the last week, the last days, uh, and uh, the last few days now, last two or three days. Um, you know, this was, uh, this was always the plan from, the, from before the beginning. First uh, Peter talks about, First Peter 1, 19 and 20 says that before the foundation of the world, Jesus was slain. Uh, this was the Father's plan the whole time. So uh, this was nothing new to him. Uh, an angel, when the angel in Matthew chapter 1 and verse 21 is talking to Joseph about Mary, your wife Mary is with child, but don't worry about it, it's from the Holy Spirit. And um, he says he will save his people from their sins. Now, of course, Mary didn't understand really what that meant, uh, how that would be done, but uh, the crucifixion is, is suggested there. And then in John chapter 1, 
which we had a few weeks ago in verse 29 when John the baptizer sees Jesus walking up to the group and says, Behold, the Lamb of God. The folks that were hearing him make that statement, that, that did mean something. They knew what lambs were for, um, but human sacrifice had not been uh, practiced in Israel and so it was a little bit of a puzzling statement that John called Jesus the Lamb of God. But uh, uh, in Mark chapter 9, uh, Jesus told the disciples, verse 30 and 31, that uh, he, the Son of Man, was going to be killed. And on the third day, he would rise. And the, the scripture says they, that troubled them, but they were afraid to ask him what that meant. But he had told them several times during his ministry with them that I'm going to be killed, but I'm going to be raised. And they never quite understood what all that meant. And then in John 12 last week, Jesus says, when I'm lifted up, and that was a phrase for crucifixion back in the day. And he says, when I'm lifted up, I'll draw all men to myself. So, um, Again, he's talking about his crucifixion. So this has not been kept secret. Uh, the, it's interesting as we leave chapter 12 there, it says in verse 34 that this, this bothered a lot of the Jews because as they read the scripture, they said the Messiah, the scripture says that the Messiah is forever. So how can Jesus be the Messiah if he says, I'm going to be crucified, I'm going to be lifted up, but the scripture says the Messiah is forever. Of course, they're thinking pretty much the only way they could think at the time in physical terms. They are expecting a, another monarchy, the monarchy of the Messiah on the throne of David. And they get this idea from Isaiah 9 where he talks about uh, he will he will reign forever and on his father's throne on David's throne. Um, Daniel seven fourteen the kingdom that the Messiah will establish will be forever. So when Jesus starts talking about and they're starting to think maybe this is the Messiah. Look at all the things he's doing. He's healing lepers. He's raising dead people. He's walking on water. He's doing all kinds of things. He's casting out demons from deaf and dumb people, which was a messianic miracle by their definition, uh, he's, as well as healing leprosy. Healing people that were born blind was not done in their day, another messianic miracle. So they're thinking maybe he is the Messiah, and then he talks about being crucified, so they're, they're thinking that just doesn't make sense. Uh, they, of course... They missed Isaiah 52 and 53, which talks about the crucifixion of the anointed and appointed one. So they hadn't put that all together. Of course, they just did not understand that the kingdom was going to be spiritual. God's kingdom would be spiritual. Although Jesus had said and had told the Pharisees before, my kingdom does not come with observation. It's not something you'll see, it's something that's in your heart. But that was too much, really, for them to, to get at, in, in the way they were thinking. So, verse 2 in um, 
chapter 13 of John, uh, during the supper, the devil had put into the heart of Judas Iscariot to betray Jesus. Um, I would suggest to you, and you know, everyone's free to have their own opinion about this. I, I do not think that Judas, Judas was overpowered by Satan. I think his heart condition gave Satan an opportunity. And the opportunity is what Satan took advantage of. You know, James tells us that if you resist Satan, he will flee. He will, he will leave you if you resist. Um, and, and Jesus had given Judas, as well as the other 11, the power to cast out demons. So I don't, while he had the power during the ministry of Jesus, I don't think that Satan overpowered him. I think his heart was open. Um, and that's the problem of a heart that's not devoted. Um, we can't leave room. We can't leave room. We can't have a divided heart and expect to be successful in fending off spiritual attacks. Uh, you know, Jesus says, the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and mind and strength. Uh, all means all. And so we work on that and we're devoted to that but, uh, uh, and, and we struggle to mature in that. But part of what's involved there is us, is you and me, making a daily decision, a conscious effort, an intentional conscious effort to devote ourselves to uh, to the Lord. And if room is left, uh, that just brings problems. Um, Paul writes the Ephesians in, in chapter 4 and 27, he says, give no opportunity to the devil. So, you know, we have to be careful what we think about what we do, where we go, who we're hanging out with, what we're thinking about. have to be careful about that because otherwise to give opportunity to the devil, he will take advantage of the opportunity because he's all about killing people. Killing them, killing us eternally is what he wants to do. He doesn't care for us at all. And nothing more makes his day than to kill one of us spiritually and to think we can walk and straddle the fence it just never works out it just won't work it brings heartache and trouble so this is where Judas is um, and I would say to you that I don't, I don't think he was always bad uh, I, I mentioned he had the power to cast out demons Matthew 10 uh, 5 through 8 Jesus sends the, uh, the disciples, Judas included, out to preach about the kingdom, to heal the sick, to cast out demons, and to raise the dead. So Judas at one point was part of the group and was in the group and was participating with the group. But somewhere along the way he changed. In Acts chapter 1, 
talks about Judas says that he had turned aside. He had turned aside. Uh, so he, he changed. Um, I won't ask you to lead this song, Don. We're not going to sing it. But it's like the old song that we used to sing, O Thou Fount of Every Blessing, let thy goodness like a fetter bind my wandering heart to thee, my wandering heart. And we're so susceptible. I mean, it, the, the world's influence is constant. It's constant. And the values and, 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 and uh, discussions and dialogue with folks at work, with what we see on commercials, with what we see in shows or movies, it is constant a constant barrage saying sacrifice or compromise your values. This is really not that bad. So the pressure to compromise is great. And if we have a, a wandering heart, if our attention and our affections are divided at all, it's an opportunity uh, for spiritual trouble. By John chapter 6, Jesus had said, one of you is a devil. And uh, so Judas had changed. Um, so when Mary, back in John 12, had anointed Jesus' feet, and Jesus protested that, he said, you're wasting the money, that 300, that's a year's wages nearly, and that could be given to the poor. And then the verse, the passage says, he really didn't care about the poor, but he kept the money for the, the disciples group, and he liked to dip his hand and help himself from time to time. Uh, so he was a thief. And he practiced thievery. He continued that. And so the thing is, uncorrected bad choices if bad choices that we make are not corrected they will lead to worse choices it's always downhill bad choices uncorrected lead to worse choices that's the case with Judas and he developed this uh, affinity for money the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil Timothy says or Paul says in Timothy. And so the scripture says, upon the washing of uh, Jesus' feet by Mary, after that conversation, he left at that point, he left and went to the Pharisees and said, what would you give me, or to the high priest, and said, what would you give me to betray him? They didn't want to betray him in public. They didn't want to arrest him in public. They feared the crowd. That would be a problem. But so they were looking for a way to arrest him secretly, privately, without a crowd. And Judah says to the high priest, what would you give me to betray him into your hands? So his love of money continued, and that led to a worse choice for him. Um, then in John 13, and we get to uh, 3 through about 17, Jesus is washing feet. Um, one of the greatest lessons, one of the greatest lessons he could teach his disciples was about serving. And uh, I'm encouraged by different ones of you, and there are 
a bunch of you that I see serving people. And that's such an encouragement. That the disciples are really struggling with this, and when they see Jesus washing the feet, let's read verse 3 through 5 here in 13. Um, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things to his hands, that he was going back to God, and was uh, rose from supper, laid aside his outer garments, took a towel, tied it around his waist, poured water into the basin, began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with a towel wrapped around him. Uh, just think of a minute. That, this, this was a servant's job. This was, in, in that part of the world at this time, this, this is what the servants did. Not the host of the house, but the servants, when guests would come in, they would wash feet. Sometimes the wives would wash feet, or sometimes children would wash feet. Not the men. And you can, we can imagine the shock that the apostles had when they see their master, teacher, their thinking Messiah, wrap a towel around his waist, take, take a, a basin over there and pull off the sandals that they weren't pulled off already, they probably were, and start washing the dust and dirt off the feet. This was shocking. And Jesus felt like, and truly so, you guys need an object lesson to get this concept. In Mark 9, 33 and 35, it says that the, the Jesus and the disciples are walking along one day, and the disciples, there's a little bit of distance between them, and they're carrying on this animated conversation up there, and then Jesus says to them, what are you guys talking about? And they didn't answer. They're embarrassed. And the scripture says they were arguing among themselves about who was the greatest. So Jesus says, what, what are you talking about? They don't answer. And then he knows the answer, so he just goes ahead and starts speaking. That's what God can do when he can see your thoughts and know what's going on. He says, don't you understand the greatest one of you? Greatest? We didn't say anything about greatest. Don't you understand that the greatest one of you is the servant of all? He who is really great is your servant. And then in Mark 10, the next chapter, Around verse 33 and 34 and 35 again, James and John come to Jesus and say, Lord, when you come in your glory, we, we, we've got something to ask. What's that? Well, when you, when you come in your glory, could one of us sit on your right hand and one of us sit on your left? And <laughs> they have this conversation, and we won't go into it, but once again, Jesus says, let me tell you, one, it's not mine to give that position. That's not my, that's not my, uh, that's not my place. But two, you're wanting positions of greatness and authority. And so he repeats it. If you're, if you're going to be great in my kingdom, you've got to be a servant. You've got to be a servant. So at this point now, he's showing them what servitude is like, what 
love is really like and what service is really like. And he says, if I, your master and teacher, would do this, if I would wash your feet, your filthy, ugly, dirty, bunion-covered, calloused, toe-jam feet, those feet. Not sure he said all of that. If I wash your feet, you should do the same. You should serve also. You should serve also. So he comes to Peter. You know, Peter's always all this way or all that way. He says, Lord, you're not washing my feet. No, not my feet. And Jesus says, if I don't wash your feet, you have no part with me. Actually, he didn't say your feet. He said, if I do not wash you, you have no part with me. Verse 8. And Peter says, well, wash me all over. Um, A point once again. We all, we all must be washed by Jesus. We all must be washed by Jesus. Revelation, before the vision starts that John sees in Revelation chapter 1, verse 5, he says that we are washed by the blood of the Lamb or washed in the blood of the Lamb. Another old song we used to sing. Don's singing it softly. A lot of theology and Bible in those old songs. The praise songs are good too. But there's an awful lot of Bible in those old songs. So John says we're washed in the blood of the Lamb. That sounds similar to what Paul tells Titus in Titus 3 verse 5 when he talks about the washing of regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit. That sounds an awful lot what Jesus said in John chapter 3 and verse 5. You must be born again, born of the water and the Spirit. Um, as we, We'll leave this, but I want us to read a couple of passages before we do that really I think are, well, they're just very important. They don't get a lot of airtime these days. Uh, Acts chapter 9, if you would turn there, Um, Acts 9 starting in verse 3, this is about Saul's conversion before he became known as the Apostle Paul. So Acts 9 verse 3, and as he went on his way, talking about Saul, he approached Damascus, suddenly a light from heaven shone around him, falling on the ground, he heard a voice So this light knocks him to the ground. It's much greater than the sunshine. It's daytime. The sun's shining and he's doing just fine. But this light appears right over him and kaboom. He is knocked to the ground and he says, uh, the voice comes to him saying, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? 
He knows it's, this is God because of this light that's right over him and has knocked him to the ground. Who are you? And he says, and you imagine how this, how this went over. I'm Jesus. Oops. He was on his way to Damascus to put Jesus' followers in jail. Oops. I'm Jesus, whom you're persecuting. Rise, go to the city, and, we'll, and it will be told you what to do. So they went, they led him down, uh, let's go on the bottom of verse 8. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And this is an important verse here in Acts 9, verse 9. For three days he's without sight and neither eats or drinks. Three days. He's blind. He is upset. He is not eating. He is not drinking anything. He's too upset. Scared to death. He has encountered God. God has presented himself to him in a form, in a light. And he's heard this voice saying, I'm the one, I'm Jesus. That's who I am. I am the Messiah. And so he is just shaken. Doesn't eat or drink for three days. Now look at this in verse 11. And the Lord said to him, rise. This is the Lord speaking to Ananias, saying to Ananias, I want you to go talk to Paul. The Lord said to him, rise, go to a street called Straight at the house of Judas. Look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. And look at this. Behold, he is praying. He's praying for three days. Very important. He's praying for three days. He's in big trouble. And he knows it. He's praying to God for three days. Please forgive me. Please forgive me. I didn't know. I didn't understand. Over and over and over. Praying and pleading. Lord, please forgive me. And he is not forgiven. He is not forgiven. Today we ask people to pray and invite Jesus into their heart. And it's called the sinner's prayer. It's not in the Bible. It's not in the Bible. So go now to Acts 22. Saul is talking about his own conversion. Saul is now Paul, and he's telling the folks around him about his own conversion. Starting verse 14 of Acts 22. And he said, this is what Ananias says to Paul at the time. He said, the God of our fathers appointed you to know his will, to see the righteous one and to hear a voice from his mouth and you will be a witness to him, to everyone of what you've seen and heard, verse 16. So now, after three days of prayer, so now, what are you waiting for? Rise and be baptized and wash away your sins. Calling on his name. That's how we call on the Lord. We obey him. We do what he said to do. 
It's the same thing Peter told the Jews at Pentecost in Acts 2. You've killed Jesus. He's the Lord. God raised him up. He's the Lord in Christ. Convicted, they say, what do we do? We kill the wrong person. He says, change your heart about him and be baptized in his name for the remission of your sins. He didn't say. Can you imagine how much easier it would have been for Peter to say to 5,000 Jews in front of him saying, what should we do? And he says, just repeat this prayer with me. And he does the prayer in 10 seconds and says, now you're forgiven. No? No. When Jesus left the earth, he said, go into all the world and preach my gospel and tell everyone what I've done, who I am, and he that believes and is baptized will be saved. That's Mark 16. In Matthew, he says, go into all the world and teach my gospel and baptize the believers in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. So I go back to Revelation chapter 1, verse 5, washed in the blood of the Lamb. We must be washed in the blood of the Lamb, like Jesus told Peter there in John 13. Unless I wash you, you have no part with me. I must wash you. Washed in the blood of the Lamb. That's exactly what Paul's talking about in Romans 6. When we're baptized, we're baptized into his death. That's where the blood was shed, in his death, buried with him and raised to walk in newness. Not about work, not about merit. It's not something I do, it's what God does to me when I obey him. It's God's work, not my work, God's work. Me being baptized can't do anything. When I put my faith, my faith in God, God does everything. God does everything. It's his work. So Peter objected, but they got past that. And Jesus says, if I, your Lord and teacher, do this, you should do likewise. Three bombshells at this last supper here for the apostles. It's rocking their world. He tells them, and this starts in verse 18 and verse 21 of John 13. He says, one of you is going to betray me. Interesting thing about that. Well, let me come to that in a minute. One of you is going to betray me. He says, I'm going away and you can't come with me. They've been with him night and day for three years, constantly with him. He says, I'm getting ready to go away and you can't come. Stunned. And then he says to one of their leaders, Peter, you're going to betray me before the morning. Within the next 12 hours, you're going to betray me. Peter says, Lord, I'd die for you. No, you're going to betray me. So they're trying, they've got a lot to process here. One of them's going to betray him. He's getting ready to go away and they can't go. And he tells Peter, you're going to deny me. And they're like, I mean, that is a lot to put together. Blew their minds. Jesus says, I'm telling you before this happens so that when it does happen, you'll believe. 
know, interesting thing in verse 22 of chapter 13. When he says, one of you will betray me, the disciples, verse 22, the disciples looked at one another, uncertain of who he was speaking about. Who, who, one of us is going to betray you? And he says, they, we're thinking, we're reading the whole story, and we're thinking, well, it's obvious, it's going to be Judas. Well, they didn't know that. They didn't know. And so the scripture says they're, they're puzzled among themselves. Who? One of us? Is going to betray you? Who is? What? What? So they are like shocked. Surely not one of us. And then Peter motions to John some kind of secret signal he gave John. They had secret signals. They had things they could do. Like a decoder ring. You could do secret signals. And So John leans against him and who is it? And Jesus says, it's who I'm going to dip bread with. You know what? The disciples were uncertain who he was talking about. You know what? We can put on fronts too. We can put on fronts too where people don't know what we're really like. People don't know what, what we're doing when we're away from here. We can put on fronts put on a, a facade. Looks like facade. Hold it down, Amy. <laughs> it's just too good, isn't it? We can put on a facade. In Arkansas, it's always facade. Where I'm from. Well, not really. And people don't know what we're like. We look to be pleasant enough. They don't know we're verbally abusing our spouse. On and on and on. We need to be careful to be who we are. I read, uh, I'm reading a book by Andy Stanley right now, and I may have told you this already, but he says if a person is forgiven by Jesus, he should be devoted to Jesus. If we are forgiven by Jesus, we should be devoted to Jesus. That's, that's more than this hour. It means our life, our devotion, the way we think, our self-discipline, our self-control, who we are and what we do, devoted. We pray all the time. We pray all the time because we're aware that we're walking with God and that we must have God in our lives and with us. We're praying constantly as Paul says in Thessalonians. If a person's not praying continually, regularly, frequently, he or she is headed for a spiritual wreck. The enemy will come in and ambush. Our hearts have got to be tuned into God all the time. To avoid ambush. Okay, 10 minutes. So, so Judas takes the morsel. Satan entered him. Jesus says in verse 28, go ahead and do what you're going to do. And verse 30 is an interesting, John 13, 30, a powerful verse. And Judas says, and Judas went out. 
sin always casts out. Sin casts out. Little sin, little, little frivolous sin, big sin. It always casts out. So it casts Judas out from the fellowship of the disciples, away from the Lord. It cast Adam and Eve out of the garden. They just ate a fruit. I started to say no sexual immorality, but that wouldn't have been very easy, would it, at the time? Cast Adam and Eve out of the garden. It cast us out from family, out from fellowship in church, out from holy, uh, wholesome relationships. Sin casts out, always. Sometimes it takes a little longer, but it's always the same result. We can't, I just want to encourage us, me starting here, we can't just put up with what we know is a sinful practice. It will hurt. It will cause problems. It will cast out. And then, Scripture says it was night. Oh, wow. Powerful. And it was night. Powerful four words. It was the second darkest night in history. The night of the betrayal of the Son of God. It was night. It was dark. The the consequences of the history of mankind's sin were coming to bear from all the way back, coming to bear now at this point. And Judas is going to betray him, and it was night. And I would say before we leave that, that we should remember that my my sin was part of that darkness of that night. This is us too. Part of that darkness of that night. The, The next dark, the darkest night would obviously be the night following the crucifixion, the death. The night of betrayal and the night of the death. Two darkest nights of history. Notice what it says in verse 31. When he had gone out, Jesus said, Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified with him. And if God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him at once. So this, Jesus is saying, after this, as this betrayal is in process, I'm going to be glorified, and God the Father is going to be glorified. And it's a little strange. How are, how are you saying glorified when it's the night of betrayal? But it's God's plan being coming to its climax of, completion he's planned it for thousands of years in his carefully woven human history and the lineage of mankind into the birth of Jesus finally when the time was right 2,000 years ago from now 
his promise to Satan in Genesis 3, you're going to bruise the heel of my son, but he's going to crush your head. God is going to be glorified. The promise made to Abraham in Genesis 12, all of the world, all of mankind is going to be blessed by your seed. Jesus, that's about to happen when Jesus gives his life for our sins. All the prophecies about Jesus from early on, they're going to be fulfilled and are being fulfilled in Jesus. God is glorified. His word is true. Redemption of mankind. 1 John 3 and verse 8 says that Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. God is glorified in the resurrection when he sobs sin, the penalty of, of sin and death. God is glorified in that middle symbol and in the next symbol, in the resurrection and the ascension. Interesting thing here, we got three minutes. Verse 33, Jesus only says this one time in Scripture that we know of. Little children, little children to his disciples, a little while I'm with you, you'll seek me, as I said to the Jews, but I'm saying to you, where I'm going, you cannot come. He tells them later, you'll, you'll come later. Little children, can you imagine what this group of 12 men are facing without their master and teacher to guide them through it? Except the Holy Spirit will come to be their guide. He did not leave them alone. And he tells them after when he ascended, you wait for me here in Jerusalem, you wait, the Holy Spirit will come with power and you will be enabled and empowered to go do the mission. At this point, he calls them little children because when he's arrested, they scatter like roaches in an Alabama basement. Oops. Alabama, I said. No, Matt's not here, so it's safe. Danny, you're from Alabama. Like roaches in a Mississippi basement. <laughs> they scattered. Little children. Little children. A lot stacking up in front of them. Verse 34 and 35, Jesus says, I'm giving you a new commandment. Love one another. New? Is that new? Moses said in Leviticus 19 and 18, love one another, love each other, as, and love your neighbor as yourself. New? Jesus says this is a new commandment. Love one another as I have loved you. It's another level. It's another level of service and devotion and love beyond what they got from Moses and followed for centuries. 
And it may be unclear as to how well they practiced that, but it was a command. But Jesus says, now I want you to love one another as I am loving you. And that's to us as well. God bless. Hey, I'm Eddie White, the Senior Minister for the Eastside Church of Christ. Sure want to thank you for joining us today on our podcast. I hope today's message was indeed a blessing to you. I'd like to invite you to browse our website at eastsidesprings.com to get more information or to contact us. And as always, we indeed welcome you to join us for our worship service in Colorado Springs as we seek to live out Jesus' mission of making disciples of all nations.